0: Out a living hope a living hope let me just ask you in this last week was any of your faith been tested any one of you yeah there's a few your faith has been tested what about your patience <laughs> some of you had a, a little bit of taste of your patience yeah absolutely um what about your hope you know what hope is so your hope been shaken a little bit this week Some of us? Uh, Is it strong? Is it secure? You see, I want to believe that every single day as a child of God, our faith are tested. Our faith are tested. Our hope is tested. Uh, It's because we're living in a very volatile world. We've heard it this morning. You turn on the TV, you look at the newspapers, the world around us are burning. Yes? And if you are a child of God, let me tell it to you today the world is against you. If you are a child of God, the world is against you. And in a world where the world is against you, it's not just because the world sits there one day and goes, I'm going to be against the children of God. It is because the, the prince of the power of air operates in the space where he attacks the child of God. In our Bible it says, he's like a roaring lion walking around. Have you seen a roaring lion? If they're hungry... And then after food, they get that smell and the scent of that meat. They want it. Uh, Brother and sister, you and I are that scent in the world where it wants to destroy us. And we are talking not a foreign language here. The people that uh, Peter is writing to is the dispersion. They had to flee from their homes. They had to run away. In 1964, there was a massive fire that went through Rome it is recorded in the history books it nearly burned the whole thing down Nero was now the governor he was a ruthless man by his hand he could have somebody's life killed or saved by his hand he can say wipe out every child under two years old and they will kill them he had the authority that we heard today but at a different level so this fire was in this place, and the citizens of Rome thought it was him. It turned out, a lot of historians say that he actually started the fire, which nearly burned down a whole city. I mean, we're living in, in Melbourne. We're living in Victoria. We know what bushfires is all about. We know how devastating they are. You go down to Marysville, an uh, hour and a half drive from here, and you saw what happened 10 years ago on Black Saturday. We went through there three or four years after that. The trees are still black whilst the green leaves grow out of it. It makes a beautiful picture today on photos, but it was a terrible day when it happened. These trees, when we go there, we were there the other day. When you walk there and you see the trees, it is a memorial of the terrible things that happened on that day. His fire was burning through Rome and a lot of people died. And Nero, the crowd was mad at Nero, the emperor. Why did he cause this? But what did he do? He had to deflect it. He had to find another story. And he started spreading it. It is this new sect that started happening. under that man, Jesus Christ, his followers... It was them. They started this fire. And there was a terrible persecution that broke out against these people. Listen, let me tell you, you and I know nothing. You and I know nothing. We are talking about social persecution. Oh, they don't like me because I'm a Christian. These people had to run for their lives. They were taken. They were killed by animals for the pleasure of the crowds. Why? Why? Because they had blue eyes and white blonde hair? No, because who they were, they were Christians. And they stood up in the world and said, We are, in the book of Acts, they were called the people of the way, capital letter way, which is Jesus Christ. We don't know nothing. They were sewn up in animal skins. And they were thrown to the animals to pull them apart. This is horrible. This is terrible. They were put up on poles and lit at night, put a fire to be light to the city at night. No wonder these people would run around and run away, would they? So we saw the dispersion happening. They went to Pontus, Galatia, took their families away from there. You say, but Cop oh, if I was there, I would have been a brave man. I would stand up there and say, take my life because I'll die for Christ. No, you know nothing. Because you're not in that circumstance. You won't even give it up today. Just because you want to fit into your social group. These people had to fight for their lives and run away. And it's to these people that this letter goes out. Remember that. Never forget it. But I want to take you back into their minds. What of these people had to flee away in a hurry from their places and go into a strange country where they know nobody? Would you say that's hopeless? Hopeless. A sense of hopelessness that could come over them. And you see, hopelessness is a strange thing. If you come into a state of hopelessness, it affects your whole life. And you look at me this morning, but I'm talking about something that I believe everybody experienced in this room. A sense of hopelessness. One stage in your life, you might have gone through a stage where your faith faith was tested so much that you came to a point where you say, where is hope going to come from? What's going to happen to us? Am I talking to real people? This is the people we're talking about. So don't just read your Bible, brother and sister, and just read it flippantly and go, this just these words on a paper. Behind these words is these real things that happened. And when Peter writes to these people within his heart, I can feel the expression, I know I can't. I can imagine the expression that he had that he's writing to his brothers and sisters who are actually, actually being persecuted like we don't know. So he writes to them, and last week we saw that he writes to them and say, "You are the elect of God. There is hope for you." Uh, I came across while I prepared this this uh, I read this little piece in his book, "Man Search for Meaning." Victor Frankel. Now, I'm not promoting him, but he wrote this, which really resonated with what I want to say. He was apparently the successor of Sigmund Freud. Now, I don't, I'm not a believer in Sigmund Freud. I don't follow him when I te- trained to be a teacher. I had to study some of his work in psychology. But anyway, this man replaced him. And in, in Vienna, he argued, listen to this, that the loss of hope and courage can have a deadly effect on man. This is true. You find people in a hopeless situation, it affects their health. I can tell you that. I've seen it with my own eyes. People in a very hopeless, they are way more, it affects them personally, their health, and it can be deadly to them. As a result of his experiences in a Nazi concentration camp, Frankel contended that when a man no longer possesses a motive for living, no future to look forward, he curls up in a corner and he dies. So true. No hope, no future, nothing to live for. Friends, I want you to go and pick up the phone and talk to these people who talk to young people who want to take their own lives and commit suicide. That's the state they're in. They will tell you there's no hope, there's no future, there's no life. But you and I know where the answer is. What's his name? Come on, you cry it out. Jesus is the answer. And this is what this man say. He says, any attempt to restore a man's inner strength in the camp, in those concentration camps, he wrote, had first to succeed in showing him some future good. A, a future. And I've dealt with, uh, in my life, with young people who wanted to commit suicide. And the one thing that I always tell them, I say, look, today is not the rest of your life. There is something behind today. Why do I say those words to them? Because I want them to look at tomorrow and the day after. In other words, you're trying to establish some hope within people. Now, I can give you all of the psychologists, I've studied it as well. I can give you psychology here this morning, and they say, just go on a five-point plan, brother. Just look into this. Every morning when you wake up, say this rhyme in your head. But that's not what we are here for, are we? No, we look unto whom? The light of the world. Who's that? Jesus Christ. Now listen, Peter writes about this. In 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercies has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time i love this first chapter of the book of peter have you noticed when you read through it the first 13 verses is three sentences this is a full sentence and i had to breathe twice before i finished it have you noticed i love it when i study the bible to read through and come to the commas and it's and he does the same that paul does it is as if him and Paul goes off and they talk about a topic, and then while they're talking about it, you and I do the same, by the way. while they talk about it, something else comes to mind, And what happens? You just add it in, you just throw it in, and in that one sentence, you pack it so full. I want to tell you, I can preach for months, just on that one sentence right there. for months. Today I've just taken out the word "living hope." I want to talk to you about this living hope. And he says it right there. Now I want you to, I've I've, I've painted this picture for you of these people sitting there in persecution. And even in those countries where they were, they didn't know whether they were going to be dragged away and be killed. Because there were still Romans there as well. See how he starts this. And brothers and sisters, I've got good news for you. That's why I ask you, were your your faith tested this week? Yes, we are. And it's going to be tested in the next weeks to come. Put yourself in that situation of these people. And see when that letter from this beloved apostle comes past. He says, first of all, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what is he telling them? He says, you are all sitting down here. And all you can see is the people around you. And all you can see is the problems around you. But I want you to do something. I want you to lift your eyes to the heavens. And then what do you do? If you look up into heaven, the only thing that you can do is you say, Blessed be God. Amen? Focus on God. That's his first premise that he do here. He says, Blessed be the God. The word that he used there is in Greek, eulogitos. Eulogitos. That's where we find our English word eulogy from. And you know what a eulogy is? I mean, we are preaching from a funeral home. I think there's a lot of eulogies that's been said in this place, yes? But that's where we find our word from. A eulogy is praises for someone highly, especially a tribute to someone who has just died. That's what an eulogy is. Now you say, wait a minute, Peter, you look to these people, you write to them, and they were, you were saying something to them? Is there a cryptic message that you're going to just die and there's an eulogy that we work in here? No. He talks about somebody highly. In fact, this is what you call doxology. He gives a praise and an honor and a worship to God most high. This is how he starts this. In the midst of their trouble. You are gonna go through trouble times this year. Believe you me. Remember what Peter said. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul do the same thing in Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three. He says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all what? Of all what? Comfort. Comfort. So Paul writes to these people in Corinthians and he says they were looking for comfort. There were problems in that church in Corinth. Paul writes to them and he he starts with God. The highest point that you can ever start is God. The highest point. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who's looking for comfort? Who's looking for it? I am. I certainly am. I'm not shy to say that. Where am I going to find comfort? He says it right there. In the Father. And He says, Blessed to that. Look at Him in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Who's looking for blessings? Who's looking for uh, uh, spiritual blessings? I am. Where are you looking for it? In a worship service, who enjoyed the singing this morning? Yes, I loved it, but that's not where it comes from. The spiritual blessing comes from God, the highest point that He goes to. So he uses that word "eologist." But I want to show you, English is interesting and Greek is interesting. I love the Greek language. I would have loved to speak the Greek language. But there's so many times where Greek has got many more words for one English word. Again, this is one of those. We read in our Bible, blessed be the God and Father. Then we read again, and there's another word uh, here that's used for blessing. It is the word makarios. Makarios. And we find this word in the Beatitudes. Because we read in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus sits on the Mount of Olives uh, and He reads... Then he opened his mouth and he taught him, saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Who is this addressed to? To people. You see that? Blessed are the uh, for uh, to there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall be inherit the earth. He uses an English word, "blessed," and we can say, "But it's the same word." Can you see that? But it's not. Because this year is targeted towards whom? To God. To God. It's not the same blessing that we want to say. Bless you, brother. If I walk up to you in Greek and I say, bless you, brother, I'm sure I'm going to use the word makarios. Makarios. If I start walking up to you and I say, eulogitos, then I think you need to be worried because I'm giving you an eulogy. And you're still alive. You don't want that. But, uh, but this is how he starts it. He writes to people in that persecution, and the first thing he comes out to them, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the concentration is on Him. And then, and then he goes on to say, Who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again. You see that? He has begotten us again. So how does this work? We have to go back to Genesis. When God made Adam and Eve, they were in what fellowship with God. And then what came in? Sin came in and it separated that fellowship. Man was sinner. And everyone after that were born, were born in the nature of man. In the nature of man. Go and read it in in, in Genesis chapter four and chapter five. In Adam's image, not in God's image. And now what happens? Every single everyone that are born is going astray, David says. And what needs to happen? We need to be begotten again. In other words, we were were slaves to sin. And the Master, Jesus Christ, had to come and pay that price on the cross for us. And He begotten us again. This year refers to a spiritual birth, to be born again. Now I want you to understand this. There are many people who sit in churches by association. They go through difficult times. And they call on Him, but they don't know Him. And here he talks about it in John chapter 3 verse 3 when he spoke to Nicodemus. Remember he met him in the city when he was doing miracles and Nicodemus came to him and said, You are a teacher. You're a very good teacher because you do all these signs. And what did Jesus say to him? He said to him, You must be born again. He says, Most assuredly I said to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So our living hope starts with what? with a spiritual birth. You must be born again. That's where it starts. Unfortunately, if you don't have that and you're in the world, you are lost, hopeless. And this is what that means. Now he says this, and this is our topic today, the living hope. Have you seen it's not just a hope? But it's a what? It's a living hope. I hope you read your Bible like that and you notice this. The world has got hope. But the hope is dead. You know what the world hopes on? The world hopes that Trump is going to make peace. He's meeting up in uh, Vietnam again, just in in Hanoi. He's meeting up some stage. Again with uh, Ching Chu. Did I say that right? (laughs) The man from North Korea. I was waiting for you to help me right, brother. Thanks. (laughs) He's meeting with them and people looking into him. But not only him in Europe, they're looking at this man, this Emmanuel, what is his last name? They're looking at him. Yeah, Macron, they, they had a photo of him the other day walking on water. they comparing him, they say his name is Emmanuel, God with us. And they had a photo of him literally walking on water like Jesus did. Don't be confused, friends. The world is looking for hope. But they've got a dead hope. I'm presenting to you today, what have we got? A living hope. He says, uh, has begotten us again to a living hope. This living hope is what the world don't have, and the world will struggle. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, He says, Therefore remember that you want Gentiles in the flesh, that's us, who are called uncircumcision, that's us, by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Listen, what then? That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. So we, we didn't have Christ, we were not part of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. That's a terrible place to be. Oh, don't you worry, I play the lotto. And if I'm going to win the lotto, man, I've got hope. Where's your hope in? Your hope is in luck. Oh, no, I'm working on this job. If this job's going to nail, man, it's going to give me security until I retire. Where's your hope in? in? your efficiencies. You know that can change in a day. Oh, no, I've got savings put away. You don't know, man. I've got it in good places. I've got a good financial advisor. Who's, where's your hope in? In the financial advisor. Tomorrow he walks away with your money and you take him to court. We see it playing off right in front of our eyes. And here, Paul says to us in Ephesians, he says, No hope and without God in the world. Let me tell you, friend, I don't want to be without God in the world. I don't. And please, if you don't know Christ, if you haven't been, been gotten again, fall on your knees and call until, until He hears you, until He reaches out from heaven because He's the only one who saves you and reaches you and saves your soul. Then you've got hope. A living hope, He says right there. Look at this. In 1 Titus chapter 1, verse 1, the Apostle Paul and Jesus Christ by the commandments of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. Our hope. Who's our hope? The Lord Jesus Christ. No hope without God in the world. But Paul says to Titus, he says to him, the Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. Now let me ask you the question. Is he dead? Who believes he's dead? Is he alive? Let me see hands. You can go to his grave place and you can dig up the ground there and you can put it through all of the technology we've got now. DNA. You will not find any DNA of bones that rotted in that grave. And you should shout hallelujah. So if he's not dead, what is he? He's alive. And if, if Paul says to Titus, Jesus Christ is your hope, and he's not dead and he's alive, what kind of hope do we have? A living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, when you are going to be tested this week and next week and the week after, know this. Blessed be the Lord our God. Because he's begotten us again to a living hope. You Christians who are dispersed right there, you've been persecuted, know this. We have a living hope. Let's look at this living hope. It is grounded in the Word of God. You need to see this. This is the foundation. It is grounded in the Word of God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, we're going to see this. He says, having been born again. You see, born again refers back to be begotten. He has begotten us. He says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. What lives and abides forever? The Word of God. Who is the Word of God? jesus christ john chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god i love the word of god don't you is this giving you hope i hope not i hope it gives you living hope amen this is the living hope in hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 look at this now if we've established now the word of god which lives and abides forever. Now listen to me. I said this to a man once in a church, and he goes, oh, you love the Bible more than God. I said, what's the difference? I said, what's the difference? You tell me. He says, but you love that little green book. I said, no, there you go. Take it. It's yours. I'll go buy another one. I, I, I've had some people, in and I like to write in my Bible, and you can see there's a lot of places here which I've just written the whole thing over. This is only a book. It's paper. I mean, I can do this and tear the... I, I'm not going to do it, but I can tear the papers. It's not the physical book, friends. It's when this thing becomes life. When it becomes Rima and it goes, boom, right into you. You know what I like to do one day, Glenn? I want to go up to people. And if they don't want to listen, I want to go in, go in, go in there. I was going to do it against my head, but that would look funny, okay? We're talking about what this gives you. God's mind is in this book. And if you read it, and if you study it, and you keep on doing it, you know what the Holy Spirit does? It makes these words alive. I know it. I tell you what I know. <laughs> Somebody says, he's crazy dude, man. But once you read it and you grasp it, and and man, it starts building, it fills your head with this, it sinks into your heart. That's when it becomes alive in you. That's when the living hope lives inside of you. He says, the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Now, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, he says, for the Word of God is what? Living. It's living. Yes, you're right, my brother. But first of all, it's living. Look at it. We've got a living hope. It is Christ. Let me go back. Paul says, he says the commandments of the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. But it's not just a hope, it's a living hope. I hope you see this. For the Word of God is living and what? Powerful. Powerful. Oh, give me a little bit of that Power. Simon Magnus, there in the book of Acts, that sorcerer, he went around and he tricked people with sorceries. And, you know, trick, you know, you go on YouTube. There's a lot of people doing trickeries. Wow, what an amazing guy. the Holy Spirit comes, they lay hands on people and the working of God just happens like that. And what does he offer? He goes, give us some money. Give us some money. You cannot buy the power of God. You cannot, listen to me, control the power of God. So away with all of these fancy nonsense rubbish which they put under the mantle of power of people who are rolling around and doing funny stuff. Where is the power of God? Where is the power of God? It is the living word. The living word is the power of God. And he sees it right there. It's living and then what is it? It's sharper than a two edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and of a discerner of the thoughts and intents of heart even that sentence tell you the power you get me some kind of device that will give you the power that will cut between bone and marrow can you anybody in the room who wants to have a go at it or even the division of soul and spirit have you got any kind of power not even our nuclear power will be able to do that. And then he goes further, joins and marrow, the discerner of thoughts and the intents of heart, it's only the power of God. That wonderful power, my friends, I hurry on to say this to you, that that power, that he's got, can live in us. Because he says to his disciples, you will receive power when what happens? The Spirit of God comes over you and lives in you. And here's, a, here's an, I I haven't got it there, it's just up here now. When he returns in power and glory. It's written in your Bible in Revelation, I believe, chapter 19. It says that he's going to come on a what? A white horse. And what's going to proceed from his mouth? Sharp two edged sword. Sharp to its sword. Now some people's got crazy ideas. They think yeah, it's gonna be a real sword out of his mouth and he's gonna sha 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 fight like that with his head. No no no, it is the word of God. The word of God. Some people believe this whole place came about by a goo that exploded. And we all we all evolved in what we are. No, 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 no. In the beginning he spoke a word. A word. You're sitting there in your circumstances. What you need is a word from God. You need a word from God. I'm not talking funny stuff here. I don't say we're going to get a, a, a prophet touring the world and he's on world stages and say, if prophet so-and-so is going to come in, he's going to give you a word from God. That ain't what I'm saying. What you need is you need the real word from God. That's the power of God. You're struggling your whole life through. You're struggling. You're struggling. You know what you need? You need the power of God. That is the two-edged sword that's going to come. And you know, my dear friends, this is the living hope that he's talking about. What's this living hope going to do to us? It's going to give us, in this words, an inheritance. An inheritance. What is the inheritance? That inheritance, my friends, is Salvation. It's salvation. He gives us salvation. The inheritance is to become heirs with His Son and live with Him. Have you got it? If you don't seek it, otherwise you're going to be staying behind. Or you're going to go to a different place. I I always see this picture of faith. If you think about faith and, and this little sailboat, and you spend all your time and all your money to build this beautiful sailboat, and you go out and you say, I want the best mast on this thing. And you go to the best mast maker. Who knows in the middle of the ocean, the mast is a, is a very, very uh, prop, uh, important thing to have. That's the big thing where the, where the sails is going, the mast. So you get the best mast, you put it in, and now you go to the best sail makers in the world. Who knows that you're in the middle of the ocean and your sail gets a tear that you lost? Who knows that? So you go and you get the best sails that you can get. These guys say, man, bring any kind of power against it. It won't be destructed. You put it on that little sailboat and you stand back and you go, whoo, what a great sailboat. Look at this, Robin. Look at this thing I've built. And you go there in a month's time, you go, whoo, look at that thing. And you go there in a year's time, you go, whoo. And you go in five years' time, whoo. What's going to happen? The sun's burning on it. It weakens it, rain falls on it, it weakens it. Never ever do you push it out into the ocean. Just sits there. It's going to come to nothing. No, no, no. What do you do when you build a sailboat? You want to push it out into the ocean, don't you? You want to actually test the mast, don't you? You actually want to go out there and put up those sails and look back and say, Wings, where are you? I want you to blow and fill the sails up so that I can steer it into a direction. Isn't that what you want to do with a boat? You want to test it. You want to test it, and then, first of all, I can see you go right there close to, to the side. And if this thing breaks, you know, I want to swim for it, man. I'm not going to go down. Then you go so close to the side of, of the land, and then a little bit of a breeze comes by. So you, oh, you know, it can make it. Then you're pushing a little bit further and a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. Isn't that what you do? Come on. And once you come right there in the middle of the ocean and now the storms are playing up against you and the big winds and the big swells are coming and now it puts so much strain on the mast and on the sails. But you know what? You're not worried. Why? Because what happens? You are faithful. You know this little sailboat is faithful. It's going to carry you through. You hear the mast creaking. You hear the ropes. You hear everything. But it's fine. Why? Because you've got faith and hope. Friends, that's Christ for us. You know, He saves us. And when you grow up as a young child of God, you read yourselves in the middle of the storm. We look up and we say, Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. And here is what He gives us. He gives us a lasting hope. This is what it's all about. It's a living hope. Not only is it a living hope, it is a lasting hope. Because it gives us eternal security that's not, that's not based on the faith of men, but on the faithfulness of God. Is God faithful? Absolutely. He says, who are kept by the power of God. And now, once you've got that, what's going to happen? Let's read on in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. You see that? Trials will come your way, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold. And prayer though it's tested by fire, may be found to be praise and honor and glory in the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you laugh, though now you do not see Him yet believe, salvation of your souls. Faith must be tested. Otherwise, it's not faith. Be careful what you pray for though. (laughs) Don't say, Lord, test my faith if you're not ready for it. Faith must be tested, otherwise it's not. And you can't trust it then if it's not. So what is the purpose then of tests? What is the purpose? He answers it right there. Why are you going through the things you're going through? For this reason that the genuineness of your faith may be found to be praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The genuineness of your faith, that tested faith, and receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The salvation of your souls. And now, this is where we end today. Uh, Richard, is he, can you just call your mom? So in verse 10, he says, Of this salvation... The salvation that we just spoke about. He's begotten us again to a living hope. To an inheritance. Where is that inheritance? You tell me. In heaven. Who keeps it? God keeps it. Nobody can touch it. He talks about this now. He says, The prophets have inquired. The prophets in search carefully. Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when the test uh, testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which the angels look into. Think about that. We are living in the best time ever. Today is the best time ever. And I'm not bringing out a book, okay? I'm not writing a book, The Best Time Ever by John and I'm not. It's the best time ever in Christ. Why? Because the, the prophets were prophesying. So, what are we reading to this? This is nothing new, our salvation. When Nero stood there and he says this new sect that came up under Jesus Christ, that was no new thing. The prophets of old was looking into it. What did they look into? Salvation. How the Holy Spirit of God come and live in a man. Make habitation here. And live with you. And in you. That is how wonderful it is. That they looked into that. It's salvation by faith in Christ Jesus Christ. Remember what they had in the Old Testament—that all these rituals they had to do. You remember, they had to go and they had to do all of these rituals. They had to bring a lamb; it's been killed on their behalf. That all the priests they had the showbread. That all of those things. And you know, a good a good Jew in in, in the Old Testament will say, "I do all of those things." And a not so good Jew say, oh man, I feel so short, I can't do all those things. It's all human effort, isn't it? But you have to work really hard. You really have to work hard to be there. Do you believe there's still people who preach that kind of good, a doctrine today to churches? Oh, you've got to be, work really hard to be a good Christian. My question is, who's checking on you? Is <laughs> the one who's checking on you wants to have power over you. That's why they are checking Oh, you've done that wrong. Mm. No, God didn't put police officers in His church. He put elders there. Yes. What is an elder? It's only an overseer. That's all it is. The authority lies eventually with God, with the cornerstone. I like the way that you've put it today. I absolutely like that. I think it's the first time that you, the way that you've put it this morning, to say that cornerstone is where everything is measured from. So the authority lies with him first. I'm just an overseer. Oh, you're a pastor, John Shipman, so what? Everybody's a pastor these days. I'm not disrespecting the office, brother and sister. I'm just saying, let's put it in its proper position. An elder is an overseer. And here we find it so wonderful that these people were looking at at our salvation by faith in Jesus Christ came into people and they looked into this. Matthew thirteen, sixteen, he says to these prophet to, to, to us, to the disciples, not to the old prophets, he says to them, this is in the middle of the, the parables, he says to his disciples, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and did not hear what you hear, and but and did not hear it. What if they not see in here how precious salvation is? I'm telling you today, before I pray, that rhyme's beautiful, isn't it? I tell you today before we pray. We can go out and have church under that tree. Some people won't come to church anymore. Oh no, you've got to have church in the building. You've got to have a good sound system. You've got to have money. If you want to start a church today, oh, You've got to have money, at least a few thousands in the bank. No, no, friends. He's giving to us, what, in these times, the opportunity to see things that others don't see. Where do we see that? In His Word. Amen? Have you got a living hope this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray to you in this morning. We thank you. We thank you for your Word, Lord. We thank you this morning that when we look upon Jesus, we see our living hope. He's not a dead hope. He's arisen. He's alive. And Father, we thank You also that we saw this morning that when we look up into heaven in the midst of our circumstances and cry upon You, that You give us that hope. And part of that hope, Father, or the biggest, or the hope, what it is, Lord, is to have that inheritance with You.